Uh, and as we get started here, uh, you know, on uh, today it's a bit of a surprise because uh, Johnny uh, Day has fallen ill, and even though he was in the building this morning preparing uh, to speak to us today, he's just not not able to uh, um, uh, to do so. He's feeling pretty poorly, so. Um, Today, uh, we will uh, continue on in, in our series on, uh, on the Beatitudes, and uh, I'd like to start with a recognition that as the, the, the sermon series laid itself out, it, you know, it happens to, that today we are speaking on Matthew 10, 5, 10 through 12, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people persecute, when insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And today it is also Palm Sunday. And you know, as we as we think about uh, w- you know what happened uh, the w- the week of Passover uh, when when Jesus entered Jerusalem, um, you know, we read about this in in Luke 19. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And when he drew near Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that was called Olivet, he sent two disciples. uh, Go into the village uh, in front of you where you're entering. You'll find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say, the Lord has need of it. And so those who went away, uh, were sent, went away, and found it just as he told them. And as they were untying the colt, the owner said, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, throwing their cloaks on the colt. They set Jesus on it. And he rode along. They spread their coats on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitudes of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees who were in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would cry out. And when he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that would make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground and you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. And so today, we have this intersection of the the Beatitudes and Jesus preparing uh, for 
his last week uh, on earth with his disciples, knowing that as he was entering Jerusalem and people were praising him, that five days later, you know, the same people would be yelling, crucify him, crucify him. And so today, today as, you know, as, as we live our lives, you know, sometimes we feel persecuted. Mm-hmm. Have you ever felt persecuted? Have you felt blamed for things you didn't do? Have you had people take credit for things that you did? Have you had your good deeds or uh, motives impugned by others? A few years ago, uh, I was uh, at a set of meetings in, in New Jersey with a, a difficult customer. I was working in software development. We were building uh, software-based products. And my team had um, missed some commitments, and, and I needed to go have a tough meeting with a client. And there was a, a group of us that were at these meetings, and we were figuring out what to do with the scheduled delay. And I was in a situation where I had to take responsibility for a number of things that my team, that my team didn't deliver on. And that was very uncomfortable. And at the end of the day, we, we wound up going out to dinner with the client, and one of the employees from my company went on a rant about how stupid Christians are. And, and so I'm sitting here at, uh, you know, at the, the, this dinner table, and, um, and, and he was pretty impassionate about it, and, um, and, and I had to make a choice. You know, as I sat there and, and listened to him, I had to decide, was I going to say something or not? And, and it was awkward because, you know, I had no idea what the, you know, my client's uh, faith background was. And, uh, and yet, I just felt compelled that I couldn't sit there silently. And so, at the end of his rant, I just very, very quietly said, because um, he was like, how could anybody be stupid enough to think God exists? And, and, and I, I, I spoke up and I said, well, I know Jesus exists because he changed my life. And he got really quiet at the table. And that ended the conversation. <laughs> so we moved on to something else. Um, but, but there I was in that space of, you know, either saying something or not saying something. And, and th- you know, those of you who've been in, you know, awkward client meetings or awkward meetings where team members say, you know, things that you have no idea that they're going to say when you're trying to get work done, um, you know, and I had to take either take a risk and and speak up and be willing to be persecuted, you know, or or just you know avert my eyes and you know hope the conversation would end, and you know and what the the feelings I was going through while I was trying to make that decision were you know things like 
this is unfair. You know, I'm just sitting here trying to have dinner after a difficult day, and you know, why is this dropped on me? Um, that the you know the de- the desire to defend myself, the concern that this would further further damage the client relationship, the feelings of awkwardness of not wanting to be the outsider. And yet, suffering and persecution are just part and parcel of following Jesus. And, um, and, and so uh, that, <clears throat> uh, you know, in, in Matthew 16, uh, you know, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. And, and so there are just times in your life where you're not going to be able to get away from this. And, and there are some you know, specific reasons why we wind up in these situations. First is that our decisions and behavior have consequences. And, and this brings us back to um, you know, Matthew 5, verse 10, where um, you know, the, the, Jesus said, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And this persecuted because of righteousness, you know, that, that we are in, a, in situations where we behave in, right, in a righteous way, and it causes conflict. And, and so we have to recognize that, that following Jesus is going to put us in situations where we may be persecuted. You know, there are times when we afflict the comfortable and that causes conflict. And there are times when we, even when we're trying to comfort the afflicted, um, we get in, you know, we get into conflict because we have to get past polite with them and tell them things that they don't want to hear, maybe, and 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 make that difficult discernment between carrying someone's unbearable burdens without taking over the daily burdens that they're equipped to handle. And, you know, as Paul writes in Galatians chapter 6, verses 2, about bearing others' burdens, uh, the backbreaking burdens, and verse 4, where he seems to contradict himself and, and, uh, you know, and challenges people to bear their daily burdens. And, and so sometimes, you know, in, in that situation where we're comforting the afflicted, they bite back. Whether it's because they're in pain, or you know, uh, and and this can even be people who are believers, that um, you know that they're in so much pain that that they don't receive our help, uh, you know, in, in a godly manner, and yet, we're, you know, we're still called to comfort the afflicted, and so sometimes, you know, that leads to us feeling persecuted. Um, another. Another part of, you know, reason why 
suffering and persecution are just part of the experience of following Jesus is that the world is under Satan's authority and is opposed to God. And, and so living as a believer you know, in the world um, uh, means that we're going to be in situations where the world is against us. And in Luke chapter 4, uh, you know, when Jesus is fasting before he you know, begin, begins the main part of his ministry on earth, um, you know, Luke writes, The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me. And I can give it to anyone I want to if you worship if you worship me, it will all be yours. And when you read this passage, it's kind of crazy. It's like, you know, like the 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 devil is trying to give something to Jesus that Jesus already has. Jesus already has dominion over everything. What and yet in this specific situation, you know, the the Satan has been delegated a certain level of authority over the world, and he had that authority to delegate to others. And, and, you know, and so the key thing here is that we have to recognize that, you know, we live day to day, um, you know, in a world that is against God. And that means that even when we do the right things, sometimes we are going to suffer. Um, and, uh, and, and, and so, <clears throat> you know, as we're, we're walking through life, we need to be able to discern when, you know, when we're feeling like we're being persecuted, you know, what's the cause of this? Is it, you know, is it a decision or a choice that we've made to be righteous and, and it's causing conflict? Is it just a part of having to live in a sinful world? And then third, um, sometimes we are specifically called in the suffering. In the Luke 19 passage about the triumphal entry you know, is, is an illustration of Jesus being called into the ultimate suffering of separation from the Father uh, in, in order to atone for our sins, and and certain and and Paul ex also experienced this in Acts twenty, when he, in during his farewell to the Ephesian elders, he knows that he must he is compelled to go to Jerusalem, knowing that prison and suffering await him, and and yet he goes. So having talked about three reasons why. Um, suffering is a, and, and persecution are a part of following Jesus. Uh, how are we called to respond? And um, you know, th this week is in my quiet time. I was you know ruminating about these passages, knowing that that you know Johnny was going to be preaching on them this week, or at least I thought Johnny was going to be preaching on them, and and. And you know some of the things that um, that 
that come to me, you know, that that became clear as I was thinking about these these two sets of passages, the Matthew passage and the Luke passage, is first we are we are called to respond with an acknowledgement of our weakness. In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul uh, writes, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. And that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And so as you, as you think about where are areas when I feel like I'm being persecuted that I can just rejoice in my weakness. And... Um, and because being able to do that sort of lowers the pressure that we put on ourselves. Now, m- many years ago, um, uh, I was asked to, uh, to be one of the leaders in a capital stewardship campaign at my church. And, and it was sort of an awkward time because the, the elders had decided that they that they the church was being called to expand its facilities. And, and yet there was a fair amount of conflict over this. And uh, the, they, they had retained a consultant and there was some disagreement in the elders about whether they should have hired a consultant. And it just so tur- turned out that before the campaign even started, we went through th- three, we were two consultants and we were on our third. And so everyone was, you know, the, the, and typically the way they set these up is with uh, a, a number of committees and, and you have, you know, multiple families that are working together on each committee. So we, so we had about 40 people in this leadership group and we had our first meeting, uh, you know, to prepare for the campaign. And, and it was... The, the mood in the room was f- one of fear. And, uh, you know, and the consultant s- said some things and, um, and that w- weren't particularly encouraging because the, the consultants didn't believe that, you know, that, um, that God would use the congregation to raise the, am- the amount of money that was needed to build a new building. And, and at the time... And I didn't know this until later that I was a source of conflict because I was asked to help lead this campaign and I'd only been a believer for two years and I learned later that it caused people to leave the church. That they're like, how could you give this responsibility to this guy? He's only been a believer a couple of years and people actually left the church over it. But I just f- felt in, when it was my turn to speak, I said, you know, look, we're through two consultants, we're on our third Nobody believes this is possible. This is exactly where God wants us. Because, it, you know, if the elders are right and they've been called, the, the, we've been called to do this, what God is going to do in the next 10 weeks 
is going to amaze people. And, and so, you know, we, we need to, you know, listen to the consultant, follow his directions, run the campaign, and just step back and watch what God does. And the mood in the room changed. You know, because we had admitted our weakness. It's like, you know, there's no way, you know, no, nobody thinks we can get this done. And what, what God did in that congregation over the next 10 weeks was shocking. Um, we, you know, we had our first um, uh, 24-hour prayer vigil. And I remember one of the elders kind of embarrassed later saying, I can't believe it took a stewardship campaign to get us to pray. And well, you know, well, we, you know, we were beyond our own ability. So, you know, you know, was, was that you know, Plan Z, you know, pray, right? Um, and you know, and and it was just, it, and it was so unexpected. It was shocking. In in fact, that when we received the commitments, we 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 actually received more than twice the amount that the consultant said we were going to receive. Just completely blew people away. That, that they were, you know, they usually run them where you have an advanced commitment event. And we didn't know this at the time, but on a normal campaign, you get 90% of what you're going to get at the advanced commitment event. And then you get the remaining 10%. Um, at least that's what they say. And when we, you know, we, we had our advanced commitment event and we got a certain amount and the, and the consultant was, yep, this is right where I predicted. And, and then we had our um, celebrate, what we called Celebration Sunday for the rest of the congregation to, to make their commitments. And the, the congregation committed as much as what was in the advanced commitment event. So it was only 50% instead of 90 Never seen, consultant had never seen anything like that before. I was shocked. And then over the next three years, well, we had to actually receive the, um, you know, the, the commitments. And, you know, and God provided in a way that, that we wound up, at the end of it all, $50,000 um, over what would have originally been committed. And operational giving in a church went up 22%. And, and it was just completely dumbfounded the consultants. And so this piece of, of entering into suffering or persecution with, with an acknowledgement of weakness is important because when, when we acknowledge our weakness, it, you know, again, it takes that pressure down. And, and, and so, you know, where are, you know, as you think about you know you, your own life. Where are areas where you're where you're you know suffering? Is it you know a difficult situation at work? Is it a difficult situation um, you know with uh, w you know with a, a child in your home? Is it a difficult situation with a parent in your home? Um, and uh, you know is it is it a difficult situation with friends? And, and there are times when, you know, we just need to step back and say, I'm, you know, I'm weak. I can't, you know, I can't do this on my own. And I've got to 
you know, rest um, in, you know, I've got to, you know, rest in God and let God work in the situation. Next, our next way to, to that we're called to respond is with confidence that's based on an eternal vision. And in, you know, in, in John 10, uh, Jesus is quoted as saying, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall not perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. And, and this eternal perspective is hard. It's hard because you know, we generally process life as physical creatures that you know, once a week have a spiritual experience. Or if we're, you know, having a quiet time for uh, 10, 15, 30, 60 minutes in a day, that that's our spiritual time, and then we go off and, and be physical beings. And yet, the reality is that we're spiritual beings having a physical experience. And, and so, that eternal vision of the b- big picture is that as a spiritual being and and you know one who has made a profession of faith that has a relationship with with Jesus each day is really small in the span of eternity and and then particularly for younger people that you know that you know for for those of us who are you know under age 30 and we you know every day just seems like a big deal and because it is because you know we don't have um you know when when I was 17 or 18 years old every day felt like it was incredibly important because I didn't have the perspective that I you know that I have now as I'm you know uh approaching uh you know approaching 60 years on the earth and and that being able to step back and see the big picture that today is really small in the light of eternity you know this week is small this month even this year and uh, and that you know being able to look at that bigger picture makes it easy to process and bear up on, on suffering or persecution that we have to go through. Um, and, 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 and it is hard to cultivate that eternal perspective without regularly interacting with God. And that because the more present we are spiritually, the more time that we can experience God's presence and just learn how to to be present with him, um, the easier it is to see the, the spiritual aspects of the various things that we're going through. Uh, and and that leads to the the next point is um, that we are you know called 
to respond to suffering and persecution with freedom. And, and that because if, um, you know, if, if we are free from sin and, um, you know, we are truly free. And in, um, you know, in, John, in, in the Gospel of John, people love to quote the last half of John 8, 32. The truth will set you free. But the first part of that is, is really important. It is like if you, you know, if you obey my commands, you are truly my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And that freedom is freedom from sin. And, and if we are free from sin and, and we can experience what it means to be in relation, truly in relationship with God, that we know we, ha- we have that, then, then we can step into suffering, we can step into persecution with freedom. And, and that's just really strange and to think that, that in the midst of suffering, I can, I can actually enter into that with freedom. Yet, um, that being able to hold on to the freedom that we have in Christ enables us to experience a tremendous amount of suffering. And, and then that brings us to our last point is that we are, that we are called to um, enter into suffering and persecution with rejoicing. So the, you know, the, the Beatitudes in verse 12 of rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven uh, for in the same way uh, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And that rejoicing, you know, that the ability to really experience joy in some ways is a function of knowing what it's like to suffer. And you know, this morning when we were here, a group of us were here to pray before the service, and um, and at that point in time, Johnny thought he was feeling well enough that he was going to preach, and and the group of us who were here were talking a little bit about how that being sick makes you appreciate being well. And you know, as someone who a few years ago I had really bad sciatica, to the point where I could not stand for more than five minutes at a time, um, like. I have a much better appreciation of what it's like to be able to stand for 30 or 40 minutes or, you know, for three and a half hours as I, as I had a, a few weeks ago attending a concert with my son where, where the whole place was standing room. And, and, <laughs> and I, you know, I'm like, oh, this is interesting. I hadn't been to a concert where it was standing for, for three or four hours. And, and yet I was really grateful that I was able to do that. And, um, and, and so th- there's that piece of, of, you know, God brings suffering and persecution into our lives so that we know what it is really like to experience joy. 
And so, <clears throat> as we enter Holy Week, and 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 we, you know, we contemplate the the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. Um, you know, it it gives us the ability. You know, as we experience suffering for our faith, it it you know we learn, you know, to that it helps us become one with Jesus, in in some very small way, understanding what what his experience was. And enables us to really celebrate uh, his resurrection. So at this point, I'd like to close in a word of prayer and and prepare for the the Lord's Supper, because uh, you know we we are um, <clears throat> want to make the Lord's Supper available on a more regular basis and. Um, and so if the, the worship team could join us here uh, as, uh, as, we, you know, as we listen and sing to the response music, um, and feel f- when you're ready, um, come up and take the, the, the bread and the cup and, uh, and either take it back to your, your, uh, your seat or... Um, you know, take it near uh, near the stage, and uh, and we pray, Lord, that you would help us see in in the bread and the cup uh, the 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 things that you did to redeem us. We pray that you would bring to our minds the areas where you are calling us to suffer slights and indignities and, and even conflict over being righteous. Uh, we, we, we pray that you, you would bring to our minds those areas where we may just be walking through life normally, you are shining through us and leading us to act in righteous ways and and see how that relates to conflicts or difficulties that we have in our lives we we thank you for your your mercy in saving us uh, when we were far from you and we pray that as we we go through uh, this week uh, you know as we commemorate your your death and resurrection that uh, we would experience oneness with you through your suffering. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.